Pardon me while I detox Say no need for the re-rock Working on credit scores and woo size I got serenity by the hoopla Met up with Nate, no money in the shoebox Told me about his idea for detox Helping addicts recover straight out the cell block Showing up and looking like they were shell-shocked I need help, bro Well, trust God, clean house, and show up to detox Please, just show up to detox While I detox the rawest recovery podcast in the game, hosted by your boy Bo Fisher and Nathan Keller. We interviewed the beloved George Del Grosso, the curriculum director for Oaks Recovery's Willow House, where he gets real about his struggles and triumphs, offering y'all insights and guidance on navigating the path to living in recovery. Let's get it! Special guest in the building, um, the chip master, the CrossFit engineer they call him the crossfit surgeon he's breaking things down um this is the hype extraordinaire you want to bring energy into a room you call mr george del grosso do do it for us one time do the let's go i can't that was all out yesterday man that was all out bro um, that's a what that's a one time just one time i off the gate open up with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together. Uh, Father, we ask that maybe through the time that we spend uh, together, that maybe someone uh, will be helped. Uh, Thank you for this day, and uh, please bless the words that that come out of our mouths. In your name, amen. Amen. So George, kind of what we like to do is remind ourselves why we we are here. So I've got this little mission statement that I, I like to read because it, it kind of can, can center us in, in regards of our purpose of why we do what we're doing. And so it says, uh, we strive to make a positive impact on individuals and communicate by providing uplifting and transformative experiences through our entertainment offerings, through inspiring storytelling, thought-provoking narratives, and engaging content, we aim to empower individuals to embark on a spiritual journey and discover their own path towards personal growth and enlightenment. By fostering a sense of hope and resilience, we aspire to contribute to a more enlightened and compassionate society where individuals find solace, inspiration, and support of their pursuit of spirituality. And so, first of all, on that note, I want to thank you for taking time on a Saturday to come and and join us. I can tell, I, I can honestly just from my my point of view, um, from the first time that I've met you, there's something special about you. You just have, have an energy and a light and a glow that you just you just don't see very often. And so there's there's definitely been been times in my journey, and I know that it, it, we haven't known each other for a very long time, but you have been key and very instrumental in my own personal development and growth. So I, I personally just wanted to take the time and, and thank you for that. But I know it wasn't always like that. Um, so I think for the audience and, and for us, 
you know, just taking a little bit of time of, of getting to know you and, and see how'd you end up in Greenwood, South Carolina? Because just by, you know, the first two or three words that come out of your mouth, you definitely didn't grow up in Greenwood. So maybe you could just share with us, you know, your journey and, and how you ended up in, in Greenwood. Um, well, I'm from New York, and my, honestly, like, I was raised in such a beautiful household. That light and the energy that you talk about is directly from, like, my parents. You know, they are phenomenal people. And, um, I don't know, I was raised in, like, a very, very blessed house. We were, like, middle class, um, my mom and my, my mom was a teacher, my dad was a cop, so they were very, you know, they were raised in that traditional Irish-Italian family. Our family is huge and it's very strong and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so growing up, I was like rarely said no to, you know, I was, there was obviously limitations. Like I wasn't spoiled, but my parents made sure that my sister and I didn't go without. Um, and um, we were just, I don't know, we were very lucky. We had holidays with the families. We would go on both sides and just spend time with each other. So that like bond was always there. And like that, that level of love was always there. Um, and I look back on it and I am like, I'm so grateful for that because I think like the biggest thing that we can have in recovery is a support system, whether it be like immediate family or chosen family for the people that don't have the immediate family. And when I came here, like I, I knew I had my family's back or my, I knew my family had my back. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I didn't have any doubts in my mind that. They were like, they were like, you know, whatever, okay, see you later, man. Like, it, my cousin had gone through recovery, and his wife was also in recovery. And um, I was just getting to the height of my addiction um, when they got married. And it was like a not sober wedding because they had friends that obviously were not us. Um, and they had my family, the Irish, you know, that, that <laughs> we just, they have fun, they have fun. They don't drink to excess, but that, you know, come back. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time, to be honest, I was ever introduced to the program was at that wedding because they were, they started speaking this language. Um, I think I want to say the maid of honor had, was in the program and was like speaking the language of the program and she was yeah. just speaking so beautifully and I was like, holy smokes. Um, and there was like a confidence in an air about her that I was just like, I want that. You know what I mean? Like, here I am putting liquid courage into my body just to like make it through. I, me and my cousin, uh, my mom doesn't know this, now she will, um, like dropped acid before we went to the, <laughs> before we went to the wedding, like in the house. And, um, so like it was, you know, like in the midst of that, that I was just listening to this woman speak and I was like, there is a clarity and an eloquence and a confidence and an elegance to the way this woman is speaking. And like, it was just, it was earth shattering, but regardless, um, so I was, you know, I was raised in an Irish Catholic neighborhood, um, Pearl River, New York, which is like Little Ireland. Um, it, not a small town, but kind of like Greenwood, honestly. It's like small enough where everyone knows everybody, um, and, but big enough where like you can get around and you, know, you don't have to see the same people twice in one day. Um, I, uh, I don't really know, like, I think I came, so I came out to my parents when I was 12. And it had always been a thing for me. Like, I always knew that I was different in some way or another. And, uh, you know, I made it a point to, like... Well, I didn't make it a point at that time. But I was just always hanging out with girls. I was always more interested in what they were doing than what the guys were doing. My parents, you know, obviously weren't like, you should be hanging out with more boys. They welcomed all of my friends to the house. They really just allowed us to be creative and have fun. Um, and then in middle school, when, like, 
all the schools are melded. You know, everybody knew who I was in my elementary school because that's who you grew up with. You know what I mean? And mm. then when other kids from other schools all came to the middle school and we were all mixed together, then, like, suddenly I became very different. And I began to realize, like, okay, maybe I'm not jiving with that type of, that boyish crowd. And because I did that, people had opinions and they, you know, ran their mouths and they said what they needed to say. <laughs> And um, <clears throat> at that time, like, that's when, you know, you're in middle school and, like, gay becomes a word. Like, that's so yeah. gay, you know what I mean? And I was yeah. like, what is that, you know? And then from that's so gay became, like, you're so gay. And I didn't even know what that was. And I was like, what is that? And, um, you know, back then you weren't exposed to nearly half as much as you're exposed to today. You know, like, we just started getting cell phones maybe in, like, eighth grade when, when yeah. like, parents started buying their kids' cell phones. I didn't get mine until eighth because my mom was like, "You do not need one. <laughs> you do not need one." And I'm glad that she did. But um, you know, <clears throat> it became this like battle within me to like prove everybody wrong. Like I was like, you know, the, this word I don't know what it means, but apparently it's bad because like you know, there's such a negative connotation that goes behind that. Um, so I I made it a point to like put on this suit of armor to protect me from what everybody was saying about me friends were like you know we love you you're fine you're not you know you're not gay it was, and that's like a middle schooler trying to be like you're not gay you're fine we love you and like the more I got exposed to it and the more I began to realize what it was I was like no I actually think I am you know what I mean I actually think that they have a they are right um and then you know through going to, to Sunday school because I was raised Catholic being in that, you know, eventually you hear through the grapevine that that is also wrong. So that's like, <laughs> great. You know what I mean? Not only are are the kids at school making fun of me, but now, you know, I go to church every Sunday and now this is, is not working out for this. And I'm told that, you know, it's either this way or I'm going to hell. And, and I was like, but my, my mom loves me and my dad loves me, but I can't tell them because if I tell them I'm going to go to hell and they're going to disown me and all this stuff. So it was a big battle between myself um, because I was also adopted. Uh, my sister and I were adopted from Colombia in South America. She was from Medellin, I'm from Bogota. And, um, you know, it was like, not only am I not their child, but I'm also gay. You know what I mean? So, like, this is just going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And eventually it got to the point where I was, like, being tortured in school. Like, it was so mm. bad. It was so bad. And, um, you know, from then on out, I was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to fit in. And that's when I started putting on those masks. You know what I mean? That's when I started putting on, becoming a chameleon. Mm -hmm. And I would be whoever you wanted me to be, talk however you wanted me to talk, like whatever you wanted me to like, because if, if I could make you happy, you wouldn't, you wouldn't hurt me. Yeah. Um, and eventually it, it became too much. That was like the first example of like me not being able to control anything. And, uh, you know, the guidance counselor called my mom and told her that I was getting bullied in school. I was approached about it, so I came out to my parents. And I was like, you know what, I think I'm gay. Um, and they were kind of like, yeah, we kind of, we knew, you know, but we weren't going to say anything until you came out to us, because obviously we're not going to do that. <clears throat> and uh, they did their best to, like, love and support me through it. Obviously, like, when you find out your child is different, period, whether it has developmental disabilities or whether they're homosexual or whether they're you know, um, blind, whenever they have some sort of something going on with them, it takes some adjustment, you know what I mean? And, and they face adversity. So you as a parent have to like come to terms with that. Like I'm going to yeah. love my child yeah. through this adversity no matter what. Um, and I knew that my parents worked really hard at doing that, but 
I kind of have like a resentment towards, you know, them because of because of our religion. I was like, well, you know, you make me go to church and you know that I'm not, you know, welcomed by the church. Do you really love me or are you just saying that because you have to, you know, because you're my parents? And it was this really weird unspoken resentment that I had against them, but I never showed it. Because yeah. if I showed it, they wouldn't approve of me. And this is all inside of me. Yeah, <laughs> like, none of this is fact and truth at all. Like, this is just yeah. like, this is all but my mind. Yeah, how you your perception right. and feelings. And, um, you know, so so going through through high school, I really came out of my shell. Once I came out, it stopped. Like, once I was like, you know what, I am gay and you really can't say anything else, everybody was kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, because what else are you going to say? <laughs> now that I already owned all the names that you're calling me, what more can you do? And I really, I want to say, like, those were, when I came into myself, was like the best years of my life in high school. I had so much fun. My friends and I were just awesome. We were very wholesome kids. Like, we weren't, like, badasses. We weren't, like, yeah. Yeah. troublemakers. We were, like, we had really... We did well in school. We all did extracurricular activities. We hung out and, like, ate age-appropriate food and drank age-appropriate <laughs> beverages while watching, like, I don't know, like, wholesome TV shows. Like, I just loved my friend group. None of yeah. us were tempted to do anything crazy. And the ones that were, like... They did it on their own time. They never brought it to us. You know, we, we had a very co uh, core group of friends. Um, and, uh, you know, then obviously you turn 18 and you're like, you know, Ooh, now I can legally buy a pack of cigarettes. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a rite of passage. And I bought my first, like, black and mild. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, smoking it at the fair, I think, like, in, in our town fair. And my friend's like, smoking a black and mild, you know, and it was, I felt like such a badass and such a rebel. I didn't yeah. drink until I was, I think, the senior year of high school was the first year I drank, to be honest. I think wow. I maybe had a sip of alcohol before then at, like, one of our cheerleading sleepovers because I was on the cheerleading team, and I saw somebody else get, like, really sick from it, and I got, like, really upset because <laughs> I'm, like, a, I'm a fixer. Like, mm -hmm. somebody's in distress, like, I have to help them, and, like, this girl got violently ill, and I was like, oh, my God, she's going to die, and I, I was like, I don't like that, like, whatever, um... But I didn't actually drink until I was in senior year, and even then I hid it behind my mom's back because, like, I didn't want her to find out. You know, like, her son could not drink, you know, and she was always like, you better not be drinking, you better not. And, um, I was the oldest, so I felt like I had some sort of precedent to set for my sister. Um, and I was good at hiding it until I wasn't, and then she found out, and, like, I mean, it was, it, it was, it was what it was. She was like, Jesus, you know, like okay, I mean, get it together and stop doing it, you know, and it's like, okay, but I liked it. I liked the courage that it gave me. I liked how I just didn't give a, a, a rat's ass about what anybody thought about me. Mm. You know, it, it gave you that kind of, like, invisible confidence, and, and I was like, okay, I can put it on, on, the, on the back burner for now, but I'm about to go to college, you know? <laughs> like, I'm about to leave this house. Yeah. Um, so college was, college was awful. <laughs> <laughs> college really it was it was it was such a great experience because I got my education I got my diploma to be a teacher um, and uh, I made a lot of great friends uh, but then I also got into a super toxic relationship in college like it was like you know I, I was a serial dater so I always had every grade like eighth ninth tenth eleventh twelfth I had a boyfriend and it was always a different boyfriend it was never the same one because I would get tired and move on to the next one you know what I mean and I didn't give crap. Yeah. You know, I was young and I was reckless and I was like, you know, I can date whoever I want, whenever I want, you know, and on top of that, from junior to senior, junior year, I was 275 pounds. I was huge. 
and I made it a point to like run every day over the summertime and I went into senior year 175 pounds. Oh, wow. So I was like a whole oh, different boy. person. Yeah, oh, I was a whole yeah. different person with like a whole uh, new range of confidence, you yeah. know? And um, I saw what that transformation got me. It got me attention, it got me validation, it got, you know, it got me yeah. all those things and I was like, I cannot gain weight again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I cannot lose what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, so that was like also another toxic relationship that I had was exercise and eating and it was like, I didn't exercise to be well, I exercised to be thin. I didn't yeah. eat to be well, I ate to starve myself, you know, um, yeah. or I didn't eat to starve myself. But, you know, I, I was in that mode where it's like, now I'm an adult, so I can have an adult relationship. And I got into a relationship with a really damaged human being. And um, we just made it a point to try to fix ourselves. And by trying to fix each other, we wound up trying to control each other. And in trying to control each other, we wound up abusing each other. And it was just so bad. I, like, you know, I, I lost a lot of my friends in college to this person. I lost my family to this person. I lost myself to this person. And... Um, since then we've made amends and we've forgiven each other. I just think we were at a different point in our lives. You know, he's engaged now to, to one of, um, his friends that he's been friends with for a while and I'm, I'm glad for him, you know, and I look back on that and it, it made me realize how, how disgustingly codependent I have the potential to get, you know, and how I rely on things outside of myself to fix myself and how I'll say like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm trying to help him work through this or I'm trying to help this person get well and trying to help them do that, I wind up becoming sick, you know, and I neglect myself. And um, so I graduated college, I moved back home. Um, you know, I, I worked like the retail job. I worked for Michael Kors. I worked for Hollister and Abercrombie and Fitch. And then I, I didn't work for them anymore. I moved to Michael Kors. And it was always like that. I always worked for companies where like the outside was so important, you know what I mean? You had to look yeah. a certain way to work for them. Mm -hmm. And like, um, you know, then I got a job as a teacher, which I thought was going to be my purpose. I thought like, you know, once I do this, this will be my, my life purpose. And I am so grateful for the, the teachers that I worked with when I was a student teacher. I was so grateful for the kids that I worked with. It really like, you, you'd understand this, Chris. Like when you have a great teacher in school that really pays attention to you and cares about you, yeah. you never forget them. Oh yeah. You never forget them. And those teachers that I had made such an impact on me. My mom was a teacher. I was like, this is it. You know what I mean? I, I need to do this. Yeah. Um, because those kids need help. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they needed to be educated. It was like, I just need to help them. You know, mm -hmm. I need to find the one gay kid that needs help coming out and make him my mission, you know, or like find the kid that's being bullied and like be his savior or her savior. And it was never like, you know, I, you never realize, and you can attest to this too, like teaching is the thing where a lot of it is theory and then in the last minute it's practice. You learn theory for three and a half years and then the last half of a year of your diploma, you're out there in the field and you could have wasted three and a half years and be like, Oh my God, this is, a, <laughs> this is not what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I, and I liked it. I went into public school to student teach. I actually went back to my high school to student teach, oh, Wow. which was super hard yeah, because wow. a lot of the students that I had were like my friend's siblings. <laughs> um, so that was a quick boundary that had to be drawn. But then I got moved into charter school, and charter school is a completely different beast. They don't teach, they, I mean, they don't teach kids information. They don't, students are not learning, they're figuring out how to get right answers on a test. Mm -hmm. Right, because the more, the, the better the school does, the more funding you get. Mm -hmm. um, so these kids were not learning any valuable information. They were learning how to get the right answer on a math test, the right answer on a reading test, the right answer on, 
and they would score higher, so these kids would feel good about themselves, but then you'd ask them about, like, information, and they'd be like, uh... And it was, it was heartbreaking, and uh, my heart really disconnected from my, my passion for teaching. So I moved into the city. There's, like, a lot of other things that happened in here, but this is just a general story. I moved into the city because I, you know, figured I could move in on my own. I found some dude on Grindr. That was like looking for a roommate, which was the best decision, you know. Yeah. And I moved in with him in his one bedroom apartment in the basement of like this house in Yonkers. Or no, it was in the Bronx. And um, he moved into the living room. I moved into the bedroom. He was like a nudist. I was like a Puritan. Like, it was like, <laughs> but I wanted to get out of the house. Like, I think. I was bringing guys home in the middle of the night into the basement of my house, like, to, like, hook up, and, like, my parents would be asleep, and they wouldn't know, my mom knows now, obviously, but, like, you know, she caught me one time, they caught me multiple times, but she caught me the last time, and she was like, you need to, you gotta get out, like, you, I, we can't do this, so I was yeah. like, fine, when I'm grinding, I found an apartment, moved out, in a matter of weeks, like, it was, like, mm. really quick, and, um, uh, it was just awful, I think moving into the city and having the, the, the ability to do whatever you wanted to do when you wanted to do it as long as you were responsible was the bane of my existence like I really just went crazy you know like I could have as much alcohol in my room as I wanted to I could drink as much as I wanted to and no one was going to tell me anything I could smoke as much weed as I wanted to and no one would say anything I could do coke I could do whatever I wanted to do because it was like this is my apartment so you've started use now um, yeah, yeah, I've started, yeah, I started drinking when I was 18, and then it was, you know, then in college, the guy I was dating was a big pothead, so it turned over to weed, and uh, I made friends with people in college that smoked a lot of weed, um, so that was, like, it, I, I swear, I don't think there was a day that went by in college that I was yeah. not stoned, mm -hmm. um, or drunk, for that matter, but somehow I managed to graduate, <laughs> like, somehow I managed to get a degree, and I look back on that, and that, to me, was, it's so sad. Because I remember going to my graduation completely mm. intoxicated. Oh, yeah. I don't remember getting, I don't remember going up on stage. I don't remember getting my <laughs> diploma. I don't, I just remember my mom looking at me and noticing that I was visibly intoxicated. And she, right. you know, they were just so proud of me and they were so glad that I graduated college and I couldn't even be present for that moment, you know? Mm. And then immediately they, like after that, um, they, we went to take a picture and then I went off with my boyfriend and they went home. I didn't even go out to eat with them. I was just, I just went off and it was such a special moment in their lives and I completely took that from them. You know what I mean? And it really breaks my heart because I look at my diploma and I'm like, yeah, whatever. But like, I, I didn't even have enough self-esteem to take pride in myself. You know what I mean? I was yeah. just kind of like, God, if I could go back and do college again responsibly, I would 100%. I would love to just be able to do that again and give that gift to my parents and be like, you know what, now I'm responsible and I'm investing my own money and my own time into this and really just be grateful for that. Um, but I am grateful for my degree. Uh, so I moved into the city. I was using substances. I wasn't using them recklessly, or so I thought. I was using them like everybody else was using them. You know, and uh, the New York City nightlife is insane. It's mm -hmm. some, there's always something going on, especially the New York City gay nightlife. There's always, there's a drag show, there's a party, there's a, an underground party, there's just a, a tea dance, which is like when people meet at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to just drink and be social. <laughs> like, there's always something to do, and I was always there. 
You know, yeah. I, I've always made sure I was like, if I'm going to get out in this scene, I'm going to get out in this scene. And um, I met one of my best friends. He's still one of my friends today, Dan, who I met at a bar. And he, you know, he was flirting with me. He was also serving drinks. And then he asked if I wanted to become a, a go-go dancer. And I was like, sure. You know, I was like, okay, because I had met, I, at this time I had had a boyfriend that I broke up with because another toxic relationship, um, that ended in my alcohol abuse, uh, long story short, we went to, um, Asbury Park in New Jersey and we went out to a, a bar and I got intoxicated and I beat the shit out of him for no reason. Yeah. Like he went home cause he was tired. I think he went back to the hotel cause he was tired. And I asked my friend why, where he was. And she was like, he went back to the hotel cause he was tired of your shit. And she was like, also not the best person to be around. She mm -hmm. was a big instigator of drama. So I went back to that hotel and I was like, you and I, I punched him in the face. You know, it was awful. We actually went to court because of it. It was like a domestic thing. And he dropped all the charges because he recognized it was, it was alcohol. It wasn't me. You right. know, I'm so, you know, even then, um, before then, we also went to Maine, to Portland, Maine, for my godson's um, christening, because I, obviously, I was his godfather, and that night, like, these are just little mo moments of clarity where, like, I had a drinking problem, and we did a bar crawl after that, and um, after everybody was done, I wasn't, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I was trying to find another place to go, and my sister was like, Maybe you should slow down, you know, like maybe we should go back to the room. It's, it's really late and, and I took that as like the worst offense and yeah. I wound up punching her in the face and like, you know, not laying her flat in front of these strangers and, and I just remember the look in her face, dude, I will never forgive myself for this, um, was just like terror. You know what I mean? Was like, yeah. what is going on? And these girls came to her rescue and they started cursing at me and it was just, I realized what I did. Because you know when you do something stupid and you sober up like that? Yeah. And I just ran off oh, into man. the middle of Portland at like 3 o'clock in the morning. And the next day I woke up in a Winnebago with two pit bulls and these hippie people. I had like 36 missed calls. Like, you know, my mom was like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and she wound up picking me up. My whole family was, was worried about me. My sister was back. She had a big bruise on her face. It was, And I don't even remember it. Like... Um. It was so bad, but you you know you, you block you suppress those things. Absolutely. You know you push them down, you forget about them because yeah. you don't want them to see the light of day. You don't want anybody to know what you did, even though everybody knows what you did. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I got involved in the nightlife. I met great people. Um. These were people that could drink responsibly, that could maybe do drugs. I don't really know if they did. I don't think they did. Maybe they smoked a little bit of weed. But um, you know, I was always the one that needed more, wanted more. You know, to be the center of attention and to make people laugh and to get validation and to get affirmation. You know, one night I came home drunk from a bar and um, I wasn't ready to be done yet. So I went on Grindr. So I was like, you know what? Sex sounds good right about now. And I wound up finding somebody that lived about five minutes away from my apartment that was smoking. And he invited me over to smoke. And I was like, cool, you know, I'll go over to smoke. I was so drunk. I probably should not have driven my car. But I drove to his apartment and um, he was smoking meth. And I thought it was weed because I was I just I was ready to smoke anything at that point. <clears throat> he gave it to me, and I just remember being up for three days and being incredibly horny and like smelling like this like shame and piss and grossness. And um, you know I I was like I don't know why I feel so funny. I smoked something last night to the person I was living with at the time, and he was like, "Dude, you smoked meth." And I was like, "What's that?" And he told me, and I was like, "Oh, well, I don't I don't like that." And he's like, "Good, don't do it again." 
He's like, whatever you do, like, do not do that again. And I was like, okay, fine. And I didn't. For a year, I didn't. I, I stayed away from that. I was like, if anybody asks me if I smoke Tina or if there's a capital T in, in the message or something, um, I'm going to say no. And I did because that first experience for me was super unpleasant until it wasn't. And I was presented out one night with a group of people with it. And I was like, you know, everybody else is doing it. Like, yeah. it can't be that bad. You know, so I started doing it. And it turned from like one year to six months to four months to three months to two months to one month to every other week to every week to three times a week to every day in a matter of like two years. Mm. And it went from like smoking to snorting to to boofing, if you know what that is, when yeah. you shove it up your butt, um, to eating to shooting. And it was just, everything went to the wayside. Everything, my apartment, my car, my family, my house, my, um, my job my friends like and the meth is crazy because it will take you up into heaven for like a minute you know and it will make you feel like you are on top of the world and you can do anything you want until it drops you into hell and like yeah. it keeps you down there you know no matter how many times you try to get out it just introduces you I have I feel like there's a level of darkness that most people will never experience mm -hmm. in their life unless yeah. they touch meth and meth will open up that door and reveal to you like the true dark side of of human nature and what people are capable of doing when their brains and their minds are completely dehydrated and malnourished and I do not wish I was actually talking to a newcomer last night at the men's facility and his story was my story and I was like wow because he knew exactly what I was talking about with the darkness and I would not wish anybody or that upon anybody I would not wish because once you see it you can't unsee it wow what a great episode of pardon me while i detox thank you george for joining us and thank you everybody for listening join us next week as we go into george's journey from darkness to light let's go